nice, beautiful setup. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we are so thankful, Lord, for this great privilege and this great honor that you give to us to study your word. Lord, we come to you with open hearts and open minds asking that you teach us. Lord, I pray that this day the speaker may be out of the picture and that Jesus may be seen clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 on page 167 in your pew Bibles. We read of a very interesting story. You probably already know it. The Israelites, the children of Israel, were close to their destination. You've probably heard the saying before, most accidents happen. You finish the rest. Most accidents happen close to home. There are quite a few statistics out there that seem to suggest that over 300,000 accidents happen within four miles of home whether it be fender benders or whether it be some other thing. To be honest, I would agree with this statement. I might even be the statistic. Some of you might be too. But to be honest, I would even put it another way. I believe that strange things tend to happen close to home or close to one's destination. I was only about two hours away, two, three hours away um, from my destination when I was traveling from Michigan to Virginia. And I was up in the hills of West Virginia, up in the mountainside. There were no, no houses for, for miles. Nothing. It was just in the, the backwoods. And I didn't choose this route. My GPS decided to take me on this side of town. Things were looking strange. My, my heart was racing, thinking I would not want to get stranded in this part of town. Problem was, my, my gas tank was on E. Someone said I was in trouble. You're right. That's exactly how I felt. I checked my GPS to see what was up ahead as far as finding a gas station, and nothing was in view. So I started praying. Lord, I am close to my destination. Please help me. Finally, I saw a gas station and decided to pull in, pulled my car up to the pump, and realized quickly that this was not your modern-day type of gas pump. It was one of those ones from the 60s or 70s. Now, I haven't been in the 60s or 70s. That's my guess. It did not have a credit card slot a debit card slot, nowhere to swipe anything, so I decided to walk toward the building to pay cash to get my gas. And as I was walking towards this building, by the way, this was after the sun had set. This was close to the end of the year, and the sun was setting earlier than usual. And as I was walking towards this building, I saw two ladies looking out. And at that moment, while I was in in route to get to this, this place, one of the ladies got up, walked to the door, and closed it. The other one pulled the blinds down. And I thought, 
this is not the gas station I want to get gas at. I was even more fearful. I thought, this doesn't seem right. And to this day, I do not know what to conclude from that experience. I can tell you one thing, though. I was fearful. I hopped in my car. Who cares how much gas I have left? I drove off with prayers in my heart and a faster pace. You see, I, I, I had some thoughts running through my mind because that's what happens when you have fear in your heart. The possibilities tend to gravitate toward the extreme. And the things that would happen as far as being bad multiplies dramatically. I thought, well, I would not have wanted to be mistaken as a man trying to rob a gas station, even though I was wearing a suit and a tie. Because obviously from, my, from, from what I saw, these individuals somehow thought that I was either a danger to them or was just a bad situation altogether. So the gas station was closed. It seems that they were suspicious of me and I was suspicious of them. Another thought that popped into my mind as I was driving in a way, I thought maybe it could have been on the basis of prejudice. Yet I was in the middle of nowhere and did not want to find out whether that was true or not. Fear, it cripples us. Fear gives us many conclusions that are based on things that are not real. That day, the fight or flight mechanism kicked in. I hopped in my car and drove off. The story is told of two explorers who were, who were in a similar situation, except that this was not, this had nothing to do with ladies at a gas station, but had something to do with a lion. They were in a safari, and these two explorers were in the jungle when suddenly a ferocious lion jumped out in front of them. Keep calm, the first explorer remarked. Remember what we read in the books on wild animals. If you stand perfectly still and look the lion in the eye, he will turn and run. Sure, replied his companion with shock. You've read the book, and I've read the book, but has the lion read the book? <laughs> there are three responses to fear, generally. The first response to fear is paralysis. When you find yourself in a situation that, that, that makes you feel uncomfortable or makes you feel afraid, the first response for some people is to be paralyzed. This is when, because of the impending danger, you cease from moving and like that explorer, you say, stay still. Don't go anywhere. You start shaking in your shoes and other strange things begin to happen to your body without your permission. The second response to fear is to run away. That is to put distance between you and the object that you fear. This is the preferred option for me personally. The goal is to put as much distance between you and the thing you are afraid of. I remember staying at a friend's house and their house was close to a, a sugarcane field. This was in Jamaica. The problem with having a house next to a sugarcane field 
is that you would often get visitors that you would not want. Field rats. Not your regular stuff. These were monsters. Beasts, you could say. And I remember one day hearing the wife screaming, calling for her husband in the kitchen. So I decided to get up and walk to see what was happening. I went into the kitchen and saw the wife running out, the husband on the counter with a broom in his hand. They were trying to get rid of this rat. The husband, problem was, the husband was afraid of rats. So he was up poised on the counter and his wife was running out of the kitchen. He put some distance between him and the thing he feared. The last option that one would choose is to do a preemptive strike to mitigate the danger. This is when you decide to confront the thing that you fear and attack it before it attacks you. This one is often marked by courage because you don't want to tell someone a story where you are like, you know, I, I saw this thing, I was so afraid, and then I ran away. That doesn't look courageous. Neither do you want to tell someone a story saying, well, you know, I saw this thing coming towards me, and then I stood still and did nothing. That doesn't look like courage. But if you were to tell someone, well, you know, a lion kind of ran towards me the other day, and, you know, this lion is coming all bold and bad, and I just grabbed it and squeezed it a little, and the lion ran off. That sounds a little bit better. Don't try that. Our study today comes from the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 13. And if ever there is a story that involves strange things happening close to home, it is this story. If ever it was true that there is a story marked by both fear and courage, it is this story. The courage of Caleb and Joshua. The fear of the other spies. Accidents happen close to home because Canaan was just in the distance. But they failed to make it in. Numbers chapter 13, the Bible gives us the setup. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a what? A man. Everyone a leader among them. You see, God, in giving Moses some direction, did not choose just any man. They were leaders. These men were supposed to stand up and do their bidding, but somehow they failed. Verse 17, the story goes, Moses begins to give them some warning after listing the names of those who went into the promised land to spy out. The Bible says, then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land, verse 19, that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests, there are not. Be of, what is the next word? Good courage. And bring some of the fruit of the land, 
And the Bible says now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. I did some research and found out that, by the way, this was about the end of July. I thought that was fascinating because we are in July. So they went up, the Bible says in verse 21, and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near the entrance of Amath. Amath. And they went up through the south as instructed and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan and Egypt. The children, was children of Israel on the border of Canaan, when fear showed up. It is not that they couldn't trust God's plans fully. It's that they were impatient, distrustful, ignorant of God's promise and his own character. By the way, inspiration tells us that this plan was not God's plan. It was not God's plan to send spies into the land of Canaan. Because God understood what he had promised. The children of Israel came up with the idea, came to Moses, and started a counseling session. And so they suggested to Moses, and I imagine someone marching along, coming towards Moses and saying, um, Moses, a couple of us were talking, and we, we kind of agree that waiting here in the wilderness is not the best plan. I mean, look over the hills. Isn't that the place that God called us to possess? Shouldn't we go to investigate whether the land is indeed as God said? Moses didn't oppose. Like God's meek servant, he went to the throne room, prayed, and mentioned the request, and God gave permission. Numbers 13 verse 1 is God giving permission to a request that was previously brought to him. Go ahead. Have them spy out the land. Sometimes God gives us that which we request, not because it's his plan, but because of our own insistence on going another way. And so that's what they did. They couldn't trust the promise enough to wait for God to guide and lead them, so they devised their own plan. And so the people chose 12 spies. Out of 600,000 men, not counting women and children, they would choose 12. And the children of Israel got together. They met again and came up with some names. Verse 4. Now these were their names from the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zakur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph. And then there was Joshua. The Bible says these are the names of the men that Moses sent to spy out the land. I skipped a few. You can read those later. It was going to take 40 days, a little over a month. Their trip from Egypt had already taken a while, and the time to survey the land wouldn't be just, wouldn't be too long, just a few days. And so as the children of Israel were waiting patiently for the spies to return, they saw over in the distance a faint shadow coming towards them. And someone, I imagine, trying to make it out, looking, 
wondering, who is that? And all of a sudden, someone shouted, well, that looks like Shaphat. He walks like Shaphat. That could be one of the spies returning. Someone else might have shouted, well, look, this is Caleb. You can see that that's Caleb. I know how Caleb walks. That definitely is Egal. The way that he's, he's moving with those, that's Egal. And finally they came close enough and the children of Israel saw two men staggering under the weight of their load. They brought some things back. They had cut down some grapes. You think you've seen grapes? These were grapes. These were not just your normal sized grapes that you would get in mire. They had to put a stick between both of them and bring it to their children of Israel. Just imagine I brought some grapes to you this morning from the promised land. And myself and another church member with that grape hanging on our shoulders. You'd probably ask me, where did you get that? I want some. Some had brought pomegranates and figs for the taste. There were samples to pass around. It was a moment of rejoicing and stories were being told. And then there, were, there was the opportunity for the spies to share publicly what they had seen. Like men coming back from war, respected veterans, they had a listening audience. And so they began to share. Well, you know, the day we left, you know how things went. I mean, it was, it was really smooth as we traveled south towards the promised land. Went up on the mountainside, came to Hebron, looked into the valley, and wow, you should have seen it, brothers and sisters. I mean, this land definitely flows of milk and honey. You could see it. We walked and stopped by one of those rivers and, and got a taste of the water, and even the water is sweet to the taste. You think you've been drinking water here in this wilderness? The promised land has way better water. And the fruits. Hey, you brother over there, you're tasting the pomegranates. What do you think? Man, this thing is good. He might have responded. Yes, God was right. The land indeed flows with milk and honey. Another spy might have interrupted and say, yeah, 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 but you got to tell them about that time, okay? The, the time where we went down into the valley and saw some fruits. You, you have to explain the fruits, though. I mean, look at the grapes. These things are huge. And so he goes on. So we were there, and we were kind of thinking, I mean, these fruits are not the normal size. How do we transport this? When all of a sudden, Shaphat came up with the idea, just cut a stick and then hang the grapes between two of you guys, and then you bring it back. And we thought, yes, that's a good plan. Let's bring some grapes back. We stayed for a little bit and enjoyed the grapes ourselves, but we wanted to make sure you got to taste too. The promised land is a good place. The soil is rich. The land indeed flows with milk and honey. If the report had stopped there, we would have had a good story. But the report did not stop there. Everything was fine until someone else interrupted, well, there is something else that we have to say to you. There is one problem. You taste the grapes, you taste the pomegranates. The problem is, even though it's that good, we cannot go up and possess it. 
And so the expression of the crowd changed. You see, when we came to Hebron, we saw the sons of Anak there. If you'd go with me to verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. And then Caleb interrupted. Quieted the people, shh, hush, hold on one second. There's something that we're missing. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Suddenly someone else interrupted, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And so there is a conflicting, they're, they're hearing conflicting stories. One is saying, yes, we can go and possess the land, and the others are saying, no, we cannot. If the story had stopped with the thought that the people listened to Caleb, and Joshua, and went up and possessed the land, then we would have had a good story. But they didn't do that. They listened to the other spies who were telling them lies. We are not able to go up and possess the land. Another translation of this text, the Wycliffe Bible, mentions this way. Verse 31. But the men began to exaggerate their story. The Wick of Bible says this, soothly the other spires, soothly. The other spires that were with him said, we, we be not able to go up and possess it. Makes no sense to try. For these people, they are stronger than we are. I don't know who you're going to believe. You can believe Caleb, but what I saw was that we won't be able to take this land. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And the people cried. I imagine if you were to ask someone in this gathering, why are you crying? They would say, we are crying because we're not able to fulfill a promise that God gave to us. I believe that there are three reasons why the people cried. Who would have thought that this event would have turned the pages of history for an entire nation? Generations yet unborn would hear about the account Children were born in the wilderness, tugging on the skirts of their mothers and fathers and asking the question, why are we walking in circles? And they would say, there's a day when the people cried. And so the people cried. The first reason why the people cried was because men failed to believe and act courageously on a promise that God gave. Instead of trusting God, they wanted to run away. They had failed because of their fears. While staring at the Hittites, the Amorites, and Jebusites, and Canaanites, they had forgotten that there was a God who was more powerful and was more powerful than giants. They had failed to remember that. While looking at the people, they forgot the cloud by day and the fire by night. 
friends, we are close to home. Today, we are close to home. There is still a promised land. Within this world, there are some giants, though. And you wonder, where do you place your attention? On the giants, on the grapes, or on the promised land? Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, those who make a profession of religion are spies. Those who make a profession of religion are spies. In other words, if you are a Christian, you are a spy in this world. And you have a report to give. He goes on. Those on the outside look upon our character and our conduct as the message that we bring back to them. They look at our lives and they ask the question, what kind of report are these spies giving to us? And when Christians fail, people cry. When believers fail to speak of God and his goodness, people cry. When people come to our church and they experience a sort of abrasiveness, no love, no compassion, people cry. And they say, I'll never go back. Because those spies did not give me a good report of the promised land. This week, I had a chance to meet with a few people. I went to see my dentist and was talking to someone. And for this sermon, I was just, just randomly asking people, what are your fears? What are things that you fear? And this one person shared with me that the greatest fear that she possessed was the fear of rejection. I said, I, I could resonate with that. I fear rejection too. I fear rejection. You know, I said, there is that fear. And I asked her, how do you deal with that? And she said, I've realized that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be vulnerable. She is facing that fear and dealing with it. The fear of not being accepted is a real thing. And I believe that even today that there, the fear of rejection is keeping a lot of people away from the promised land. But I want to say to you that God is willing and able to accept you into his beloved. You see, it is not only believing, though, on the promises of God, it is also acting on what you believe. God has promised that there is a promised land for all of us to possess, possess, and he calls us to take hold of it. The people cried the second reason because men exaggerated their account to justify their failure. We are but grasshoppers in their sight. They said, we are grasshoppers in our own sight, and in their sights, we are grasshoppers too. You never read in Numbers 13 or 14, one of these spies having a dialogue with the Anakims. You do not find in Scripture the, the, the Hittites, the, the Canaanites, and the Jebusites saying, you are grasshoppers. But somehow they came to that conclusion. Why? Because of their fears. 
You see, fear can be irrational. When we face our fears, we look at a cockroach dancing wherever it is we're standing, and we say, we are grasshoppers in that roach's sight. And so we run away. We put distance between us and the thing we fear. Not realizing that to the cockroach, that's a giant, I'm going to get out of here. But you see, their attention was focused on the giants, but not on their God. What is your problem? You know, sometimes we have these problems in our lives that are so big, so humongous, that God seems so small and inadequate. What is happening? Yes, you know, brother, it's, it's, it's been really tough. I mean, look, I almost died. I, I, just, it, I just can't take it anymore. But, but isn't God good, though? Is, isn't he able? You know, he, I think he's able, but, but not with this one. This one is too big. The people cried because men exaggerated their failure, exaggerated their account to justify their failure. The problem with exaggeration is that it makes things that are possible impossible. I would never go back to that church, they say, because the people down there are evil surmisers, backbiters, who will do whatever it takes to tear you down. They do not like me for some reason. I can stand, I can't stand that person because they always seem to behave like they're holy more than I am. Exaggerated stories. I'm going to describe to you a, a weak and sickly church. A weak and sickly church exaggerates the breadth and heights of her problems. And the church of God looks small. When we, when we increase, uh, a weak and sickly church increases the breadth and height of their challenges, and the church of God looks weak. A weakly church increases the size of their hurts and pains, and the church of God looks sick. A weakly church increases the, increases the size and failures, and the church of God looks defeated. A strong church that succeeds. A strong Church, on the other hand, increases the size of their God. Acknowledging him and what he said, and thus their problems look small and the church looks big. A strong church increases the size of their God in the eyes of their pains and problems and realize that then that church is healed by their God. A strong church takes our problems and our discouragements nowhere else but to the faithful and high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he was in all points tempted just as we are. A, a strong church that succeeds is a church that says, for God, my God is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him meaning Jesus Christ, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I looked at the meaning of the word uttermost and realized that uttermost communicates distance to the highest degree. That is as far as one can possibly be, no matter the degree of sin, no matter how far the distance between us and God, Jesus is able to bridge that gap. 
for he's able to save to the uttermost those who call upon God through him. Finally, the people cried because they realized that because of their fears, they could not enter the promised land. Because of their fears, they could not enter the promised land. Salvation was refused. The promise was forgotten. The plan was thrown aside by their own direction. And they were now ready to take the promised land, not by faith, but by force. This reminds me that at the end of time in the book of Revelation, there will be another promised land. The new Jerusalem will descend from heaven. And those on the outside who will be weeping and having gnashing of teeth would decide then to take the promised land not by faith, but by what? Force. And the people cried. Why wait? I heard someone shared of a church putting up a road sign that said, Repent now and avoid the rush at doomsday. Why wait? Why wait? What is it that is holding you and I back from our God? Like my question to these wonderful people, there's another person that I asked too about fear. What is your greatest fear, I asked. And she responded, my greatest fear is not having security, losing my job. And I thought, my God, I have security in you. I have security in you. What is your greatest fear? What is it that is keeping you from experiencing the power of God in your life? What is it that you are running from? Is it the fear of rejection? Is it the fear of losing security? Is it the fear of not being accepted? Is it the fear of your own insufficiency in the sight of your problems. Are you one of those spies who are saying, my problems are giants and I am but a grasshopper in its sight? I want to remind you that your God is telling you, I am bigger than giants. I want to tell you this morning that your God is saying, reminding you that I used a stone to defeat a giant in the hand of a boy. And if he can do that through David, he can do that through you. What is keeping you back from going all the way for God? What is your fear? If it's rejection, he promised to accept you. Is it sin? He promised to cleanse you. And forgive you. Is it losses, hurts, and pains? He promised to soothe those wounds in your heart. Is it resources? Oh, he promised to supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. We are close to home. And I pray that there be no accidents in this church. I pray that there be no strange things happening on the border of Canaan. I pray that we all enter the promised land together where we'll finally sit down at that table with Jesus Christ himself serving, where there will be a real and true potluck. Where the church service will be lightened 
with the presence of God, with Jesus himself preaching, giving us that sermon. I can't wait to hear what Jesus has to say. What about you? Amen. Well, let's enter the promised land together. For Jesus is calling and waiting for you and me to decide today to face our problems, not with fear, but with faith. That's what he calls us to do. How many of you would like to say, Lord, I want to face my challenges, whatever they may be, my problems not with fear, but with faith. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to stand. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to stand. If there's anyone in this room, all eyes bowed and all eyes closed, if there's anyone in this room who have not yet experienced the love of God in a full, real, complete way, because there's something probably holding you back from giving your life to God completely. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Raising your hand to symbolize the fact that this is the moment, Lord, I'm going to surrender it all, hand it over to you, so that I can, so that I can fully experience the power of God in my life. If that's you, raise your hand. Lord, I want to experience the full and complete power of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I surrender that thing that's creating that distance between you and I. Amen. 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 You know, the Lord rejoices when we give our hearts and our lives to him. Let us pray. Father, we are on the border of Canaan. It's true. You are coming soon. There's no doubt about it. I pray that in this story, in this account, in our story, that no one cries because they couldn't enter. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit may continue to speak to our hearts. I pray and ask that your word may continue to revive us and point us in the right direction. Not only do I pray for those in this congregation, Lord, I also pray for those online who are watching asking you that you may continue to instill in our hearts this idea of trust and having faith in your promises and in your word. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts today. There's no way that this could be possible except it be through your Holy Spirit. So we acknowledge your presence here today, Jesus, and we pray that we may continue to rest our minds and our hearts and our confidence in you not only to save us, but also to provide for all our needs. Not only that, Lord, but to face our challenges and our problems, knowing that there is a God who, as Paul wrote to Timothy, has not given us a, a spirit of fear, but of power and of, a, and of love and of a sound mind. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.